2: A jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Good morning. Turn down, baby. Yes, yeah, sir. Like- Bears fans, this is Take the North.
1: It's real simple, you know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With
2: your hosts, David Hahn.
3: Are they setting
1: people up for this unrealistic expectation
3: that 2023, they're suddenly going to use that $100 million in cap space and all of this draft capital they have, voila, voila. Playoff contender. And
0: Dan Weeder. And you think suddenly that there are going to be 40 new players that are all difference makers. I just don't know what fantasy land that
1: is. We're going to take the North and never give
3: it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Haw from 670 The Score, The Mullane Haw Show, along with Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune. And this is the Take the North podcast on Friday morning after the introduction of Kevin Warren on Tuesday. It has been a busy week, Dan. We're going to step a little bit aside uh, and away from the buzz about the president and his impact on the team. We covered that in our last podcast. You can still get on the Odyssey app. But look at some of the repercussions and after effects and maybe the reaction to the past season and look at some things a little bit closer. Also keep an eye on the playoffs, a lot still to cover because the NFL never sleeps.
0: Yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah, I was uh, doing TV on, on uh, Wednesday night at Marquee, and someone said, hey, uh, what, what do you do in your offseason? I said, find it for me, right? Like there may be a, a 10-day gap here soon. I'm going to get out of town for a little bit. But beyond that, the combine's around the corner, which leads you right into free agency, which leads you right into the draft that the Bears are going to be heavily involved in, which leads you right into rookie minicamp, which leads you right into OTAs, which leads you into the closing of the stadium deal in Arlington Heights, which leads you right back to training camp. So uh, hopefully I didn't exhaust you there, but, but we're, we're still... Uh, this this is just a, a small rest stop before getting back on the express lanes of this NFL highway.
3: Well, that's the beauty of why we have this podcast because bears fans always want something. They want to look back. They want to look ahead and we will talk about the draft because it's 14 weeks since the draft. We had uh Rick Spielman, the former Vikings general manager and Dane Brugler uh, who is Mr. Draft uh, Bible. And I think <laughs> those guys were on the Mullen Haw show on Thursday morning and you get excited. You get interested because It's something that we could always talk about and what will the bears get for the number one pick if they trade it? And if they don't trade it, what will they do? But let's look back a little bit, Dan, because the bears three and 14 and it was historically bad as we have said on a, on many occasions, they set a record for losses in a, in a season. They are now in the midst of a 10 game losing streak that will carry into next year And I think the question that we both have at the end of Matt Eberflus' first season is, what do the Bears have in a game day coach in Matt Eberflus? And I I want to be able to be positive about it, but I think that we still don't know a lot. And grading him is difficult, even though the 33rd team, which is a really – fun website for people who love football, ex-coaches, ex-players, ex-executives. They gave Flucy a D (laughs) for his first season. I think that's a little harsh because I think there's a lot that we don't know.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's harsh because of what he had to work with from a a talent and depth standpoint going into the season. And then the trajectory the season took after they traded away their two defensive captains and got bitten by the injury bug toward mid season. I think what's interesting partially about this, David, and it does tie a little bit back into Kevin Warren's hiring, because I had someone in the league say to me on Wednesday that as impressive as this move was for the bears, it's still sort of in reverse order, right? You hired the president after you already hired the general manager and the head coach, after you had already drafted the quarterback in a previous regime. And so the Bears have kind of done these steps backwards from what sort of organizational health would have for you. And it's relevant because Kevin Warren doesn't have any emotional attachment to the hiring of Matt Eberfuss, just like Ryan Poles didn't have any emotional attachment to the drafting of Justin Fields. And so there are benefits to that and being able to see things through clear eyes, sober eyes. But there are also things that, that we have to at least keep our fingers on the pulse of in, in regards to... Would Kevin Warren have made this hiring of these two men if he were in charge before they were hired? And so then that puts a whole different set of lenses on the evaluation of things. Um, Obviously, I think there's a lot to dig deeper on with Matt. And I think we, we can both agree that even starting in training camp, you saw an implementation of standards. You saw um, exactly what he wanted in his program, and you saw an immediate response to that. My question all along was, how long could you sustain that response? And as the failures add up, including and not limited to a 10-game losing streak to end the season, how long do you have the player's attention for before you have to produce results to keep their attention?
3: Well, let's start with the fascinating hypothetical with Kevin Warren, what would he have done last offseason had this been in reverse order? I don't think it's highly practical to go into that, but cuz I don't know that um it, it serves much of a purpose. I don't think that he's going to come in and fire any, anybody, but I but I do wonder I I do wonder if he would have gone This route, and I doubt that he would have only because of my first impression of Kevin Warren, is that he likely would have valued experience much more than the Bears did in this most previous search for a GM and a head coach. When you again go back to the Bears' way of doing business before Kevin Warren. They were giving people opportunities to learn on the job and do it for the first time. That doesn't seem to be the path that Kevin Warren would have taken had he been in charge of the search for GM and a head coach. So I think we might have different answers to those questions and different people on those jobs, only because my sense is that he would have taken a bit more of a practical approach to, to problem solving and hired people who have done it before.
0: Well, and, and the other part of it is just – trying to get a better feel for what Kevin's vision is for how successful football teams need to operate and run. And so maybe you are in the camp where you say, Hey, wait a second. We've got a young quarterback here. We have to prioritize his development, and I would like to see that paired with somebody in the league that has offensive vision and and is going to have everything in mind. Now, the Bears got Luke Getzey, and I think the union, as we've talked about on this podcast, between Luke and Justin is very valuable for them, but it may be interrupted at some point. Luke Getzey is going to coach the senior bowl, and we'll get into that in a couple minutes, but he may use that experience to have a great 2023 and beyond, more to, to bigger and better things after this season. And so, you know, w- would Kevin Warren have been more attracted to a Brian Dable, perhaps? Would he, in your um, vantage point with valuing experience, gravitated toward Dan Quinn? a guy who has been to a a Super Bowl as a head coach and has an energy and is going to get another crack at this really soon. Uh, So it's hard to say, but at the very least, now he's got to come in and and, and take over the oversight of Ryan Poles, who's overseeing Matt Eberflus, and then collectively they have to figure out what are we after and how can we get it done because obviously, as we've said before, the celebration of 3-14 and is a never-again celebration, right? Like Bears fans are never going to be as forgiving as they were these past eight months.
3: I just want to get this out of the way because it's a question that we'll get sometimes on a text line or maybe a phone call to the morning show. And certainly some fans will, will, will wonder the the answer to this. So if, it, if the Bears are, in fact, starting over and you lose 14 games and a 10-game losing streak, you are hitting rock bottom. What would prevent Kevin Warren from coming in and doing exactly what you described? This isn't his guy. Uh, he doesn't have any emotional attachment to Matt Refluse if there is a Sean Payton out there. If there is a, you know, they, we saw the Cubs do it with Joe Madden and Ricky Renteria didn't deserve to lose his job as the manager of the Cubs yeah. back in 2015. But that's a different sport, but the same idea. What, what is What is preventing Kevin Warren from starting over and hitting reset on the head coach?
0: Like modern day, like presently today? Right now. Yeah, because I just I don't think he operates that way. I think his track record is of sort of operating under the standpoint of um, allowing people under his watch opportunity, and then really one of the things that. The Kevin Warren scouting report offers up that I think has been under publicized and not talked about enough is his prioritization of developing the people that are below him and I think he takes great pride in that and I think he's going to want to have at least one year with Ryan Poles and, and to, to, to be in the lab with him and to work with him try to make him better at what he does try to get better from hearing Ryan's insight and perspective on things and then by extension that trickles down to Matty Berflus and his coaching staff and so I think obviously there's bigger things on Kevin's plate yet yeah, We don't even know when his official start date is. So if you don't even have an official start date, you can't exactly oversee a hiring process. We know how grueling that is uh, at this time of year for the organizations that are in it. Um, And so, yeah, you know, but look, you can't rule that out for 2024. I mean, you just can't. If the Bears, you know, are in last place and lose 15 games and there are obvious signs of dysfunction, then that president was brought in to make hard, firm decisions and we'll see where they take it. But obviously there's a lot that is going to happen between now and then. That will give us a clearer picture of, of which direction this thing's pointed in.
3: I agree. Well put. I needed to get that sort of asked and answered because it does come up every now yeah, and then. Like, hey, Sean Payton's out there. Go get him. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. All right, Dan, when you look at strengths and weaknesses for Matt Eberflus's first season on game days, I think the start with the strengths, is it's, it's a very intangible thing. But you look at, number one, the culture that was created is a positive one. They're going to cling to that, and it's going to be one of these ambiguous terms that people you know, get tired of hearing, but I do think it's something that is in his favor if you're checking a, a box in terms of a, a pro and con. That's a pro. Secondly, they were very disciplined in terms of yeah. eliminating and reducing the penalties. That's a good thing. And thirdly, I do think that overall, this was a team – that uh, is tied into this discipline, is tied into the culture, but they competed. You can just look until it was week se- seventeen, I think, before that you got to the point where you wondered about the Bears compete level, and that's a testament to the coaching staff, and it starts with Matt Eberflus. So I think those are kind of, you know, minimal steps that were taken, but I think there were positives in the first season of Eberflusy. Uh,
0: that last point. I come down a little bit on. I, I my excitement isn't as high on the competitive level because they lost a whole bunch of games by three scores and and more than than most teams in the league and more than most bears teams. And part of the, the compete level that they got was having a roster full of unproven young guys who are treating every rep that they have as a, a proving ground. And eventually you're gonna develop your roster to a point where you're not going to have that natural hunger of guys trying to prove themselves. And you're gonna have to keep the attention of guys who are already proven and established and get the most out of them them in situations when struggle occur. I do think that reducing and eliminating penalties is one thing. The other part of it was just the the reduction in sloppiness. I mean, how many times down the stretch of the Matt Nagy era would they you know, call a timeout and come out of the timeout and have confusion or disorder and get a false start penalty or a delay a game? And you're just like, how in the world do things like that happen? And they were happening repetitively. Matt Eberflu seemed to have a much greater organization to everything that goes on on game day, and I, I give them a lot of credit for that because you didn't have a, a whole bunch of those moments where you're pushing back your chair from the press box to the table
3: and going, What in the world was that? Also, from an old school uh, standpoint, like if people that appreciate these kinds of things, the fact that the Bears ended the season 17 games with one unsportsmanlike conduct penalty and one unnecessary roughness penalty, I think speaks to the whole idea of the the team that was, that was evidence of coaching to me. It was, it was ingrained in their head that there was a line they couldn't cross. And that's a good thing. And that's somewhere to work with when you have core players that are understanding of that and are coachable to the point where they understand the points of emphasis with this regime and with this coaching staff.
0: So here you have another trait that Kevin Warren is going to be attracted to in an a trait that Matt Eberflus is going to be attracted to. It's the mutual attention to detail and, and the ability right. to see results out of an attention to detail. That's exactly what you're talking about there. You talk about the 33rd team giving Matt a grade of D and, and you know, that's not just some ragtag group of basement bloggers. You know, that's a, 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 an assembled uh, cast of uh, established league folks who have been around a lot. And there were obviously things that, that they weren't impressed by. And so, It is worth keeping the microscope on to try to figure out what direction Matt Eberflus takes in year two. And then just to parlay on top of that, and we'll hear from Matt here in a second, is the idea that, you know, again, we talked about it when the locker room cleaned out the day after the season ended. And Justin Jones talked about having issues that the players wanted to vocalize to the coaching staff to open up lines of communication to get things answered that they didn't feel like they had direct answers to during the season. And then Jalen Johnson went on six seventy to the score a little while later. And, and he, while he wouldn't specify sort of doubled down on that sentiment and saying, look, there were things from a player standpoint that weren't smooth, that weren't the way that, that we would prefer them to go. And so, they, you know, look like again, Chicago is going to forgive three and 14 one time, but if these types of sentiments continue to pop up in 2023 and beyond, all of a sudden there's going to be a much louder crescendo of of angst and criticism that comes out in relation to these types of things and the bears have to figure out a way over this offseason to to elevate themselves in that way and that's matt and his coaching staff taking constructive criticism and figuring out what to do with it
3: so that's why it was interesting to hear him answer the question about what he took from that kind of feedback that he got from the
1: players it was great. It was uh, you know really good to sit down and visit with every guy, every everybody, and uh, it took some time. You know, it was uh, we opened up and said, hey, let's you know anything you can give us to get better at. You know, from you know if it's the training room, the equipment room, you know if it's the coaching, if it's uh, the facility. Um, Whatever it is, relationships, whatever that might be, and it was uh, let's let them talk. You know, I think it was uh, refreshing for those guys to be able to voice uh, their opinions, uh, especially when both him and I are sitting there. I think that's a pretty cool environment for those guys, and it was great. Um, And so the really the biggest takeaway from us was that you know we did lay foundation that the locker room was really positive. The energy was always there. um, The messaging, you know, in terms of the coaching staff, in terms of our team meetings, was was outstanding. And and really. We you know we came away with some some things to correct, you know. Uh, none of the players want they want to be in pads after uh, Thanksgiving. I said, "Well, it's too bad. You got to be in pads." <laughs> but uh, you know, so uh, I said, "I'll take that under advisement." Um, but. Uh, yeah, so that was uh, there was a couple of things in there. But really what we can do is just to improve our relationships, you know. And I think it was pretty good, but I think it'll be even better coming up year two, you know, that we built the foundation now with these young guys and the guys that we have uh, currently in the locker room. So it was good. That speaks to what
3: Kevin Warren was talking about when he was introduced, everything being about relationships and rapport, and that goes a long way. Uh, in terms of a coaching staff and his and his connection with players and their ability to reach those players, the better the relationship, the tighter the connection. Obviously,
0: yeah, I give Flus credit for soliciting that feedback and being open to it, it doesn't seem like it was a hollow request for feedback. Like, yeah, let me know what you think. And I'm just going to disregard and ignore all of it. Now it's all about implementing it. And by the way, you're going to be implementing it with a, a roster that's going to be largely different in a lot of different ways going into 2023. So that presents its own sort of nuances and 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 challenges to that whole thing. Um, I, you know, like Matt is going to have to figure out, in terms of the relationship building process, how to connect. And I think if you hear a criticism in certain pockets, it's that, you know, he can come across as stiff. He can come across as very football coach guy, you know, and I think it's a new world in that, in that, uh, arena you know and we we experienced some of that with the the damar hamlin discussion that we had a few weeks ago in terms of you know players wanting a forum to express emotions to uh deal with the pressures and the 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 mental health challenges of of being in this high profile sport with a lot at stake and so you know you have to 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 evolve and you have to to be willing to evolve with some of those things um this is not a condemnation of anything matt did in his first season as coach it's just a, a a little bit of a you know, foreshadowing or a preview to some of the things we're going to have to keep an eye on in year two when they get back uh, back together in April.
3: How gradual was that process of Matt Eberflus being able to get to the point where he uh, did talk in, in respect to the give and take and the feedback he got from players? And, and I guess what I'm asking is, did you sense being around the team as regularly as you were Throughout the season, you know, you go back to OTAs and the first mini camp, and there was some pushback. And Jalen Johnson was one of those guys that provided it. And if I think if you go back, he wasn't he benched for one. Yeah, uh, he wasn't running with the starters, well? yeah, for yeah, a few practices. It, so a l- lot of new coaches. Are, it's going to take a while, but by the end of the year, that stiffness that you described, or that you, you want to be, uh, relatability is a big thing now for, for NFL head coaches, pro sports coaches in in any league. But how, how did you see that evolve and maybe improve? I,
0: yeah, I think it's worth keeping an eye on. I think it's TBD because I th- I do think that when you get to locker clean out day and guys who had initial energy in the early stages of training camp and through September are, are, are using the words grievances and, and concerns. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's a, a little bit of an alarm bell goes off and go, OK, let's let's keep tabs on this. Let's see. Um, try to gather more information, obviously, as time goes on to what specifically they're talking about and how the coaching staff can improve it. And who knows, like we still haven't gotten to the point where the bears have made it official that their coaching staff is intact for 2023. So I think there's a lot of people on the beat that are anticipating some form of change here. We don't know what that looks like. And they've been pretty, uh, I don't know if stealth is the right word, but not 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 real forward in sharing some of the thought processes that they're thinking about there.
3: Well, I think that's interesting because uh, continuity is something you want to embrace in in a organization that stresses culture at the same time we don't know really as much as we we talk about the team as much as you're around the team you know we're not privy to a lot of the things that go on in these meeting rooms and this is a coaching staff that is together for the first time And you just don't know who might have made an impression positively or negatively we're not you know in those uh behind those closed doors so I, i'm waiting to see like everyone else what matt eberflues does with his staff Before we move on from this topic, Dan, from a football perspective, though, there are things that, you know, analytically, I think we'd have to take a deeper dive and closer look at. But number one, his clock management skills weren't egregiously bad, but there are always going to be times with an NFL coach at the end of a half, at the end of a game, you're like, well, you know, why isn't the tempo greater here? Couldn't you use, use a timeout there? And there's isolated cases you could point to throughout the season where I think, you raised an eyebrow there. Secondly, I'm wondering defensively they were so bad. Is this the <laughs> it, it, how related to the the scheme was the decline in the defense, or was it just because of the talent? And does Matt Eberflus have any other tricks up his sleeve bes- besides the cover two forty three tri- traditional scheme that we have seen so often? And you wonder about creativity for a coach that is Mr. Punt and Pin um, and believes in that so much. So there are football isolated things that you could have in debates, but I just don't know overall if you if you saw anything that really stood out that was a glaring problem.
0: Well, I was going to say situationally, I don't know that, you know, there are things that you can disagree with philosophically and, and like, okay, you're going to punt from the 32-yard lines. That's a, a philosophical thing that you can criticize, but I never sensed the, lack of forethought, right? Like it always felt like Matt and that staff were two or three plays ahead and understanding, okay, if we get to this situation, here's what we're going to do. It wasn't a haphazard slipshod effort of trying to get things organized in crucial moments. And I think that's important. Now, again, philosophically, you're going to have differing approaches. And, and, And I think that Matt showed at times that, uh, maybe more conservative than people in 2023 want him to be in certain circumstances, but he backs it up with his own reasoning. And ultimately over time, you're going to have a body of work that that tells you about those things.
3: I, I appreciated that because I, look, everybody's different, but the way that I view The football world or the the kind of the philosophies were more aligned with the way that I am comfortable watching football teams be put together and football games be coached just because I think he was consistent in that. Right. That's what you want from any coach is just a consistency, even though you might disagree with certain decisions in certain situations, as you point out, there was a consistent logic applied, and there was a consistent approach that he used.
0: I always go back to one of the most fatal losses during my time on the beat, and it was that Bears loss at home to the Chargers in 2019 that was basically the bottom dropping out of the season when they kneeled down (laughs) instead of trying to run or pass the ball to shorten a field goal and then had the ball positioned on a hash mark that their kicker didn't want the ball positioned on. And it was just this moment of like a lack of forethought, a lack of uh, attention to detail that, that bit them in the butt, you know, and and, and caused a major ripple effect of, of struggle and failure. And I didn't get that at any point during the season that they weren't ready for these moments. And so I think that's an encouraging part of this thing. Matt's got to just figure out in, in 2023, like just how do we push all of this forward and how do we keep our processes smooth and make them smoother? And again, I think that uh, such a big part of this is going to be making sure that those initial energy bursts and connections that you established are able to survive, even if you are still a third or a fourth place team for a full season.
3: And one of the reasons I think that a D is way too harsh is because to me the biggest development of this season was related to an adjustment in the coaching staff by the head coach who had to put heads together with the offensive coaches. You give Luke Getze credit. You give Matt Iberflus credit. You give Andrew Janoco credit. You give Justin Fields certainly most of the credit because he's the immense talent that w- w- did, you know, emerge during that mini-buy. But let's face it without the willingness or the openness by the head coach to say, we got to figure something out. We got to take a practical approach to this problem and solve it. Let's do this. Let's allow him to do that. Let's move the pocket. Let's design some runs. Let's play to his strengths. When you find a head coach that allows his assistants to tailor schemes and game plans around the skills of the players. To me, that's a strong coaching move. That's a good head coach. And that's what I think Matt Eberflus showed me this year as much as anything was that he's not afraid. It's not my way or the highway. He can have discipline, but also have flexibility because discipline is the way you structure your your team and your philosophy. Mm-hmm. But you got to have flexibility when it comes to schemes and game plans.
0: Yeah, be adaptable. Don't be stubborn. Obviously, I think we know that there are a wide array of opinions on what Justin Fields' second season with the Bears was. But I think the one thing that's undeniable is that they got something unlocked there in October that was critical to get unlocked at a time that it was critical to get it unlocked. And now it's uh, all about leveling him up as they go forward. So let's see where they go.
3: I'd give him a C then. That'd be my grade. I'd give Lucy a C.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd be right there with you. I may, may, maybe throw a minus on the end of it just because I don't like that fourteen in the loss column. But yeah, I think I think that's right about where it belongs. You're
3: never gonna get hired by the Bears if you gave him a C minus. I'm <laughs> give him a C. You want to get your resume on his desk? You gotta you gotta be fair there, Dan. So I'm gonna give him a C. You go C minus. Okay, you're a tough grader. All right, Luke Getze, the guy that we talked about, offensive coordinator, for the bears going to be the head coach of the American team on the senior bowl. What Correct. do you think about that?
0: Yeah, it's a cool opportunity for Luke. You know, I know he's excited about the chance to just go run a week, you know, and, and get that little experience. Obviously there's gonna be a few other bears coaches uh, along with him out there, including linebackers coach, Dave Borganzi. It's going to give these guys a little bit of added insight to some of these prospects that are coming into the draft that they can bring back to their scouting staff. their talent evaluation staff to Ryan poles and say, Hey, you know, I didn't like the way this guy, slouched in meetings and didn't answer questions that were asked to him or you know in in drills this guy was the most heavily invested in, in in paying attention to details we should give him a little bit longer look at his tape and all those things there'll be there'll be little little things to it I don't I don't put any grand significance on this again I always point out the Bears went to the senior Bowl in 2017 and 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 coached that and I, I think the only player that they took that was on their roster from that week was Jordan Morgan who was like a day three guard who never played so you know it wasn't <laughs> And they, and they had, you know, Cooper Cup and Hassan Redick and Zay Jones and some other other guys on that team that they obviously had firsthand insight on and, and didn't didn't unite with in the draft. So I, I don't put any grand significance on it. But again, for Luke, I think this will be a cool experience and, and something that helps him move himself forward in his coaching career.
3: So please tell me how the Bears possibly might be in line to play a game in Germany, Sprechen yeah, in Deutsch, Dan Wiederer?
0: yeah, ausgezeichnet, which means as excellent. I took uh, German in high school. That's a, a whole another episode we can do in October as we're preparing for the trip. I can try to dust off some of the old knowledge. Um, yeah, so the, the the international series games were um, not chosen, but the teams that will host them were were laid out this morning. Uh, on on thursday morning and the chiefs are the one team on the bears schedule who are going to host a game in germany now i got some texts from folks elsewhere in the division that you know there's some folks in detroit that are like "Uh oh maybe maybe the lions are going to be the the team that that gets drawn overseas to go play that game uh you know listen i think bears fans the last time they went to kansas city in 2015 they drank the city dry so the city of uh, kansas city may want to have a say and hey don't take that game away from us these people traveled in droves and they they spent all money in our restaurants and bars and it was an insane uh experience where where the, i mean they ran out of food i think it was jack stack i i my brother and uh father were along for that trip and and they, they ran out of food there on a saturday night before a game because bears fans were eating and drinking so much it was crazy so kansas city or germany two good uh two good trips in there um but uh, i don't know it'll be interesting to see where the bears land on that
3: that's funny. I can't wait to find out. That would be a fun trip to uh, to cover, and uh, in your case, uh, to to take. Uh, last football note that I have, Dan, this week, it did not go unnoticed that the Dick Butkus Award at the <laughs> NFL level was awarded to one Roquan Smith, and it was a great ceremony with the Ravens at the facility, Matt Butkus presenting the award to Roquan, along with John Harbaugh, who said to Matt Butkus, uh, yeah, I talked to your dad about that trade, and he was a little bit mad at us for making
0: it. <laughs> it's, a, it's another accolade for Roquan Smith at the end of a string of them, right? He got to go back to the playoffs playing that. He's an all-pro. Uh, you know, the guy has has cashed in now with a, with a new contract with $100 million. He had a, a heartfelt endorsement from Ray Lewis last week in, uh, in the athletics. So, so life's looking up for Roquan. Uh, I think he's found what he wants. And what he wanted here, Uh, and now it's just it's time for the Bears to turn the page and and find someone else in their defense that can play the caliber of football, which I think is what you've been stressing for a while, the blue chip caliber of football that you need to be a championship contender.
3: Yeah, how do you get better by letting 25-year-old all-pro linebackers leave the door? I don't know, but we'll find out what is next. Let's turn the page here ourselves by looking back at some preseason predictions. I don't know that I want to do this, Dan, because I can't remember all of the bad choices that I made, but I'm sure I made a few.
0: No, so this is good because I, I, I will refer to these as the Melvin Scott Awards to some uh, extent because Melvin Scott, I'll, I'll tell you a little anecdote from my time covering ACC basketball in North Carolina, was a guy who played guard at North Carolina the first year I was down there. And there's a game at NC State where it was back and forth, back and forth, end of the first half, gets free in the corner and hits a three with like two seconds to go that that – basically changes the entire game, puts North Carolina up. Uh, They end up going on to a blowout win. And we went to Melvin's locker after the game and we said, you know, how big was that three at the end of the half? And he said, I don't like to toot my own horn, but honk, honk. (laughs) 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 And so this is our opportunity to to highlight our good predictions from the fall and to go through them. So if you remember, uh, right before the season started, we made predictions of the following Bears record, Bears MVP, Bears breakout player, most disappointing bear, take the North champion and Super Bowl matchup. And so we're going to go through each of these. I'm going to read out what our picks were. Uh, And then we've got a clip. We've got an audio clip for each category that will be our, our Melvin Scott award winner. So record wise, David, you had the bears as a six and 11 team. I had the bears as a six and 11 team. Not surprisingly studs was a little more optimistic and had them at seven and 10. Here is an audio excerpt of our discussion on where we were landing with the records.
2: Based on some of what I saw in preseason, I think they're going to be this pesky thorn in your side team that if you don't play clean football against is going to sneak up on you and, and, cut you from underneath at the end of the game. I think that might happen week 1 against San Francisco. It's all going to depend on how how Trey Lance plays. I'm not I'm not predicting a win. I'm just saying like watch out. So but ultimately I think there's five wins they can for sure get and then a split with, with Minnesota and Detroit gets you seven wins. So that's kind of what I'm looking at. Maybe they don't split with both those teams. Maybe they get swept by one, but they surprise another team. So that's, that's how my formula got to seven.
3: I like that. At least we won't be, by any of our predictions, be debating in December whether or not they should win or lose the remaining games for the number one overall draft pick and who that's going to be. Let's hope that's not the case. I think being more competitive is good for everybody. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, what? I got any horns there. That whoops! That, that that turned badly in a hurry. Well, we didn't
0: we didn't think that was going to go down that path, but it was funny to listen back to that and be like, none of us thought that we were going to be talking in December about the number one pick, and then that's all we talked about in December was the the fight for the number one pick.
3: A good call in the San Francisco game, studs.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I should have have on this, the side. I was, yeah. I was this close to picking them in that game, and I didn't, but <laughs>
3: I but
0: called it. All right, so. Bears MVP was unanimous for the Take the North crowd. Roquan Smith, Roquan Smith, Roquan Smith. Here is some of what we had to say on what we thought was ahead for Roquan Smith in the 2022 season. For the second straight category, I'm in complete agreement with you. I have a runner-up acknowledgement to Darnell Mooney, who I think is in position to have a a really good year for that offense. But Roquan is the best football player on this roster. Roquan Smith is motivated. Roquan Smith has the ability to play in a defense that's going to allow him to run sideline to sideline and be as aggressive and opportunistic as he wants to be. And so when we get to the end of this year, as long as Roquan has his head screwed on straight, he has an opportunity to make some major plays in this defense and get paid right and that's been the goal for a long time here and so i'm with you that that, that's the 2022 bears mvp guys as we look back on this who would your mvp be in retrospect
3: oh easy it's
0: justin right yeah justin fields justin fields so no, it's no, unanimous but, at the end. We all had were, to revise like, them, but...
3: You weren't wrong. They did not win a game without Roquan Smith. So. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. So we
0: got the breakout player. And David, you you thought Jaquan Brisker was going to be the breakout player. I can't can't say you were wrong. Uh, I went with Cole Komet, Stunner. Uh, and Studs went with Eddie Jackson, who uh, was, was poised for a comeback season. Here's what Adam had to say about that going into the season.
2: I'm going to pivot just a little bit. And this is more of a comeback player. I think Eddie Jackson is going to have a big year. And it's for a lot of the reasons that David, you said with Jaquan Brisker, he's going to be, we saw Eddie Jackson at his best when the safety quote opposite of him was down in the box, do make doing all the dirty work and Eddie can just sit back and play center field and and go get the takeaways that he's been lacking. He hasn't been able to do that the last couple of years. He has he's been in the box a lot. They've moved, they put him at nickel sometimes. And when I say nickel, I mean he's been covering the slot receiver at times last season. He hasn't been used the way that he was used when he was an All Pro. And I think we're finally going to see more of that this year. And I think he gets back to not named All Pro, but I think we see a. a bunch of turnovers from him and we say okay yeah that's why they gave him that contract
0: honk honk there it is studs with a, a right on point i don't know if you guys saw on social media the bears had matt eberflus present uh, eddie jackson this week with the team's ball hawk award so eddie jackson uh, despite getting injured in that jets game uh, had had that breakout season that that studs thought was there for him
3: nice call yeah
0: yeah nailed it not gonna lie proud of that one All right. <laughs> Most disappointing. Uh, I think you could uh, argue that we were all right in this category. David and Adam thought Robert Quinn would be the most disappointing bear in 2022. He certainly didn't have the start that everyone thought and then was traded uh, in, in October and, and never came back. I went with Velas Jones, uh, which I think in retrospect, we, we, we might put at the top of that list given uh, the struggles he had really until the last couple weeks of the season. Here's what I had to say about Velas before the season started. This was a hard category for me because there just aren't a lot of guys with high expectations, and so it's hard to be disappointing when you don't have grand expectations to begin with. But I'm going to give you Valus Jones, and the reason I'm going to give you Valus Jones is because I think this coaching staff has grand visions for what they want. Vailish Jones to be, both as a return man and as a weapon in their offense. And Vailish Jones has been out of action for way too much of August, which raises some alarm bells for me to say, uh-oh, is this the type of guy that's going to play two weeks, sit three, play three weeks, sit two, you know, and, and be just riding that roller coaster throughout his entire rookie season where you just don't know from week to week whether he's healthy enough, whether he can absorb what you put on his plate. And so that's where I'm, uh, I'm starting in this category.
3: Wow, great call. That was really on, on point. And it happens yeah. just like you said it would.
0: So, so let me ask you this: these, like last the two categories, these last two categories, breakout player and most disappointing. Do you guys want to revise? You guys got revisions for those? Well, who would you who would you say was your breakout player at the end of the year? Who was your most disappointing at the end of the year?
3: Hmm. I, I think the breakout player might have been uh, as bad as he was, Braxton Jones. Perhaps uh, I would go
2: with Jack Sanborn.
3: Oh, that's yeah, a good, that's, Jack a one.
2: that's a good one. I man, that's tough. Putting me on the spot here. I want to say, most- yeah, I, I oh, that's tough. I'd go with Sanborn, I guess. Yeah, I'll go with Sanborn because most, most disappointing, yeah. I,
3: I think, would be Bayless Jones only because of the expectation levels. That's not a bad one either. Uh, beyond that, it's really hard to, uh, Cairo Santos. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Got himself studied at the end of the year. Yeah. But he, he had some struggles. All right. So David, get your horn ready. I don't know if you got the bike horn there, but get ready to toot it because when we were picking champions of the NFC North, Studs and I went the easy route and we said Aaron Rodgers and the Packers until someone can take them down. They're the obvious choice in the division. And you said, uh, uh not so fast, my friend in Lee Corso terms. And you picked the Minnesota Vikings. Here's what you had to say in September.
3: I don't think it's going to be as easy as some people think. I don't think this answer is written in pen. I am going to go for the surprise because I think that is what these predictions are all about, trying to you know, see something that isn't going to happen, that's unlikely to happen. It is the NFL. This happens every year. The Minnesota Vikings are going to take the North Ooh. in 2022. Wow. I believe that the new regime, they're going to – Find a way to get the most out of Kirk Cousins. I think that the Packers are going to take a step backward. They're going to miss Devontae Adams more than they realize. I don't think the defense is up for it. And I do think the Vikings, just because it is crazy, are going to be competitive. And I think it will be 10, 11 victories, but I think it will be enough to win the division. Pull the semi truck horn on that one, David. Do it. Honk, honk. Ragnar wants to give me a
0: hug. Wow. That's great stuff. That's great stuff. Um, the last category here was our Super Bowl predictions. And I know Studs is going to start us off with an apology here because he had yeah. Bill's
2: Saint. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> it was really nice. I, don't I, was think- I, I don't know what i was thinking i i don't know what i was thinking i i remember i was joking with dan about this like last week i said i just i honestly the thing that i didn't see happening was andy dalton starting most of their games so there, <laughs> there you go
0: so, we were, this either, so yeah. we were unanimous it's good either so we were unanimous in in picking the bills to win the afc uh studs went with the saints in the nfc i went with the cowboys as a wild card team which is still out of potential to happen. And David, you went with the 49ers. So this weekend's game uh, in, in San Francisco has, has some, some big stakes for take the North
3: bragging rights here. It does, because I think it's going to be 49ers and it's going to end up in the Super Bowl Just like I predicted 49ers and bills.
0: Studs. I can't remember. Did we have a clip for that one? We do.
3: We do. You
2: guys want it. All right. Yeah. There's always a surprise
3: in the Super Bowl. Last year was the Bengals this year. Who will it be? My pick for the Super Bowl is in the AFC, no surprise. I think the Bills will get there. But the NFC, I think the Super Bowl representative will be the team we're going to see on the lakefront on Sunday and not the Chicago Bears. Oh, the San, Francisco 49ers, uh, the San Francisco 49ers are going to find a way to get back. Let's go back last year, guys. They They were a good football team. And they were beaten by a better one with the Rams. But I think that they look for upgrades at the quarterback position. They either are going to find that ceiling with Trey Lance or they're going to reassume where the floor, rediscover where the floor is with Jimmy Garoppolo. I know their offensive line takes a step back. Perhaps Debo Samuel's back for another year of being dynamic. The defense is why I think they're going to win the NFC. I think it's going to be Bills 49ers. And right now I'd have to take the Bills in that matchup.
0: So, David, you didn't have the crystal ball to give us the Brock Purdy uh, awakening. Yeah. But, but otherwise, you're dead on point with, with, with how that shook out.
3: Well, Brock Purdy. Then I would have been really impressed if I had called that one. <laughs> Mr. Irrelevant becoming the most relevant quarterback left uh, among the eight. But yeah, that's a lot of fun. And we sounds like we just, know what we're talking about. Well, yeah, I know. It's like we weren't as far off as I would have expected. To. I've <laughs> I've been had worse preseasons. Let's put it that way. No question about it. Honk honk. There's our first annual Melvin Scott Awards. Oh boy, that was fun. And uh, next year will be even more fun. All right, before we get out of here, Dan, let's quickly look ahead at the weekend's playoffs matchups saturday and sunday it's going to be fun This, this has been called the best weekend in the nfl i think that'd be hard to top last weekend but let's look at the nfc and afc how do you see this shaking out
0: yeah, well, Saturday, uh, you know, Chiefs feel like they're going to steamroll the Jaguars. That just feels like a game that's going to get out of hand early. I think the Jaguars have reached their maximum achievement level. So I'm going Chiefs there. Uh, Giants-Eagles game, intriguing. Uh, the Giants were feisty last week, and, and Brian Dable's got them believing. But I just still think that the Eagles are the most complete team uh, over there uh, right now. And so the, I, I think but the, you go chalk on Saturday in those two games. Yeah, how about Sunday? Sunday Bengals bills right like this is the game we wanted three weeks ago and and, and then obviously the Demar Hamlin uh, episode happened and, and that game was put on hold it, the, the emotions that are gonna be packed in that game are absolutely fascinating I just think I've t- I said this a, a week ago this 2022 bills documentary is going to be some of the most compelling <laughs> viewing that you'll ever have and I think it continues with a big emotional victory on Sunday and then obviously because of my preseason predictions I've got to stick with the Cowboys upsetting the 49ers and why well, here's where i think that game gets interesting there's two parts it's dan quinn against kyle shanahan right in, in a matchup of, of wits between guys who know each other really well and i think that cowboys defense can take little brock purdy and make him more uncomfortable than he's been recently and i also think we've got a uh, a fun little subplot with a kicking battle between robbie gold and brett mayer
3: <laughs> i like that matchup i think the 49ers win that matchup going away because of the yips but i will go with the 49ers in that game. I'm a pretty believer. He's the best story going. He can manage a game and he can win another one and beat the Cowboys and that mat- that that tough defense with Michael Parsons. I think the Eagles beat uh the Giants with a healthy, healthier. Jalen Hurts beating Danny Dimes. That's going to be a good matchup. But so Eagles 49ers in the NFC. Bill is sticking with them. Emotional game. They're going to beat the Bengals and of course the Chiefs. So we are looking at Bills Chiefs. 49ers and Eagles, and I think that will be a tremendous final four.
0: Cannot wait for it. Honestly, we are we are on the express ramp to all the good stuff in the postseason.
3: And we will be back on the Take the North podcast next week on a regular day. On Tuesday morning, we will drop, and this podcast will be dropping on Friday morning, so stick with us throughout the Bears offseason we will keep you going on number one draft pick speculation free agent plans coaching staff moves whatever you want we will be here for you on the take the north podcast for dan wienerer i'm david Haw. thank you for listening download listen and subscribe to take the north podcast on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast and watch us on the 670 the Score youtube channel we will talk to you on tuesday great talk see you out there